0: Welcome to, I guess, the fourth edition of Podcast Ain't Played Nobody. This is Bill Connolly here with Stephen Godfrey. Um, we're going to try to cover a lot of topics today. We'll see if that goes well at all. But, uh, you know, Steve Patterson apparently just got fired. Uh, from what we can tell, we want to talk a little bit about Ole Miss, uh, Godfrey's alma mater. I'm going to talk a little bit about pole bounces or bowl bounces in the polls, I should say. Or pole bounces, whatever that might entail. Um That's a bull bounce. Yeah. <laughs> and uh yeah, you know, whatever else we want to talk about. So uh anyway, how how's it going, Godfrey? I got a lot of questions, Bill.
1: Okay. Well let's let's of, go. Uh let's yeah, let's start at the beginning. What did you learn last weekend?
0: Uh college football, still college football. You know, the first weekend it was just kind of a formality, nothing too unpredictable happened. Um and then everything went absolutely insane last week, and that was, uh, that was good. You know, it's always, that's the way it always is. These weekends were like, well, you know, you know, Iowa State's the fifth best game. This weekend sucks. Those are the ones that are the best weekends, and um, it lived up to that for sure. How about you?
1: Um, I think I learned that the uh, – we already knew this, but the bull bounce and the pull bounce are uh, – they're very real, and they're very wrong. So, I guess we could start, everyone wants to start talking about Arkansas, but I think you can talk about Auburn uh, in equal measure, because I think in a way, uh, being at home against an FCS team is, even when you escape with a touchdown win in overtime, somehow worse than than what happened in Little Rock. Oh, it was way worse, yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. two things jump out to me um because again i talk about the footprint and the inevitability of getting more information about the stc than other conferences as much as you and i strive to do that you're sort of in a you know kind of the borderland but i am not i am in one of the most sec saturated cities in america i would say even more so than atlanta because atlanta is filled with yankees <laughs> um I, I try. if i had to rank it i think auburn is more surprising um also, we never seem to remember that one, like, kind of B, B or B-minus marquee matchup from week one is going to end up being not only irrelevant, but actually secret bad. And that looks like Auburn and Louisville. <laughs> um, Houston went on the road and, um, I think, outplayed Louisville. I think Tom Herman is, is um, applying his own—I <laughs> think we, we talked about this yesterday uh, at, at work at SB Nation— I think Tom Herman's applying his Ohio State uh play playbook better than I think really anybody thought he would. Um Louisville not good on defense. Auburn not fixed on defense. Um and then you look at what happened with Jacksonville State. Um one of the biggest leaps of logic that we made sometime around I don't know, maybe February or March in the, in the national consensus was that Jeremy Johnson was a plug and play starter in the SEC. Bill, if he was a plug-and-play starter in the SEC, if he was the better passer last year, why wasn't he the starter?
0: Well, I, and I think, I mean, there's legitimacy to that. His small sample stats last year were amazing. And, it's you know, our our eyes see that, and it's hard to uh, remember. You We're just looking for little uh, pieces of information to know what's coming. And, and, yeah, the fact that he was amazing in a small sample plus – Gus Malzahn is his, you know, offensive mentor. Uh, surely he's going to be awesome, and he still could. Um, but he really seemed to. Once I kind of dove, dove into the numbers for the last couple of games, it really seemed like those couple those early passes he threw a couple deep passes against Louisville. One of them was overthrown, the other was intercepted. It's like mm-hmm. since since then he's throwing eight yard passes into traffic, and um, so I, he just I think he's lacking confidence. And and I mean in Auburn's meager defense. Uh, they're banged up as hell. Like they, they have a lot of guys gone. The the optimal starting lineup that we have, uh, expected to see lasted like a drive against uh, Louisville, and so they're just kind of um, they're they're trying to get healthy. They're playing younger guys quicker than they expected. They could still end up pretty good. I I never saw this as a top five team. That's um, you know I they, they were never the, the, the you know the heir apparent to Alabama to me, but. Um, but they're, they're still not what I expected to see yet, and I think they have a chance to get there. But And I will say, Tom Herman, uh, man, did he walk into a good situation inheriting Greg, Greg Ward. Greg Ward can do everything he wants to do. Um, I'm looking at his line from Louisville last week. 23 for 33 for 236, and then 21 carries for 98 yards. Um, that's that's pretty much perfect. He, uh, you know, had a couple, uh, sacks, I guess, but that's without the sacks, he averaged over five yards per carry. Uh, even though they didn't have a great line advantage, Farrow was able to get a, you know, to kind of grind away a little bit at four yards per carry. Um, and, and that, I, the Louisville offense right now is, is kind of a sum versus whole, uh, some of the parts versus the whole kind of situation. And, uh, they're going to have to figure that out at some point.
1: Okay. Arkansas. Um, you go back in time, this is a team that won two conference games really convincingly late in the year against two teams that had their own separate set of issues. Um, I think it was the fact that they shut out Ole Miss and LSU. Um, they were both home games. Both of those teams had key injuries. And I'm not rationalizing the accomplishments You know, in hindsight. It's just that those two games built to uh, such, a, such a fever pitch that people forget that they lost to Missouri um, forget that they were, you know, they still have deficiencies, especially on defense, especially really on offense. This was still half of an offense. You know, Bielema was just sort of slowly retooling this thing, and it finally clicked in terms of a win-loss. Um, and then I think a lot of this has to do with the fact that they beat Texas. I think if they, if they win a bowl game over any other team in Houston, at the that is what, the Texas Bowl, Uh, I think this changes the complexion of the program entirely. Is that people? You know, if you're younger, you you, you may sleep on the fact that Arkansas-Texas was a hellacious, insane rivalry that at one point um, ensnared the president of the United States in the '70s. If they don't beat Texas and they beat Kansas State or you know whatever Iowa, then I don't think we're we're at we're you know at pandemic levels of um, of Arkansas fever. And then, uh, I still would have been really, so here's my defense. Here's
0: Arkansas's defense. Okay. Um, you know, in, in my preview, in my 2015 preview, I just pulled it up to make sure I got it right. You know, one of the things, uh, I, I look at, one of the things, the the ratings I designed to look at is basically how frequently are you awesome, um, you know, there's still a down, there's still a floor there too. But what exactly is your ceiling? And in terms of percentiles, you know, I, I was using those percentiles and those previews a lot. Only three teams in the country played at the 95th percentile or better more than Arkansas last year. They did it six times. So, I mean, I think what you're saying is right in terms of, you know, in terms of the polls and everything else. Texas was still symbolic, but screw Texas. I didn't care about Texas. In fact, for me, they were at the 95th or above against Nichols State in northern Illinois early, which whatever. It still counts. Right, (laughs) Um, Right. They destroyed a UAB team that others didn't destroy. Uh, they just they they manhandled LSU. They really manhandled Ole Miss, and then they manhandled Texas. And all their losses were you know on the road by a touchdown at Missouri, driving for the tie late uh, on the road against Mississippi State one by one point to Alabama uh, by by a touchdown in overtime against a And M when a And M was good. Like I I was very easily able to talk myself into them being um, much closer to like an eleven and two team last year than a seven and six team, um, but. That uh, you know, in the end, you you still have to win the next year, and obviously they losing They lost Jonathan Williams unexpectedly, and that's no good. And uh, Toledo was one of those games where they, you know, from a stat perspective, their win expectancy was well over fifty percent because they generated more scoring opportunities. They had, uh, they had, they had the, the the better chance of winning that game, and they just blew it. Um, so maybe that was a total fluke. Maybe now they go eleven and one, like Belemas said on on uh, in the in on, in media day yesterday. Um, or maybe it's a sign that their issues last year in those close games haven't been fixed and they're not going to be fixed. It's always hard to, I can look at close game record and say, you know, that's going to, that's going to revert to, you know, that's going to progress towards the mean. And usually that's right. Sometimes it's not.
1: Uh, is this a Dick Cheney or Dick Cheney? We'll <laughs> Jim Cheney thing versus Danny Nos? Well, I thought, Where, or was this a circumstantial perfect storm?
0: Well, I mean, I think that you know, I th- I really like Jim Cheney. I, I like that he's uh, he's he's one of the best when it comes to um, re- kind of adapting to the personnel at hand, you know, he he did some really cool things with that last Derek Dooley, Tennessee office, just the defense was abysmal. And so nobody really noticed, but you know, he, when he had good receivers, he created that offense with Bray and, and Patterson and, and Hunter. And then he you know gets hired by Brett Bielema and he goes, you know, run heavy and everything else. They couldn't go, they didn't go deep last year and people seem to blame that on Chaney a lot. Uh, now we might know that it wasn't Chaney. Maybe it was Brandon Allen. Uh, who couldn't go deep, or the receivers who can't catch, you know, deep balls. Whatever it is, um, they're still not really uh, completing uh, downfield very much. They did last week, but, uh, you know, at this time it counted, and, and they couldn't do it. And, uh, man, Brandon Allen, I don't know if you saw the end of that game, but he had Hunter Henry wide open on the second-to-last play of the game in the end zone and just missed him, just completely overthrew him. So, um so, yeah, I mean, maybe it is a situation where they just aren't going to be able to make that play, but uh, this was kind of a, in, in a lot of ways, this was kind of a fluky game. It's just when you've lost a lot of one-possession games the year before, too, it's harder for me to get away with calling it a fluke.
1: There's uh, one thing I take from this, and that's and I'm not passing the buck on Buleman at all. This is his offense now. This is his program now. It's really hard to rebuild after Bobby Petrino runs through, <laughs> run, runs through your school. Uh, the, the only exception... And this includes the NFL right now, as Western Kentucky, and and you know the reason why it's an exception is that essentially Jeff Braun's staff is an extension of what Petrino had. There was zero, uh, there was zero culture change. There was zero, uh, uh, you know, change in scheme, philosophy, the way they recruited, who they recruit, any of that kind of stuff. So um, Western Kentucky, I watched them on Thursday night before I hit the road. I was I was really impressed by what I saw. Um, they're, they're sort of the sole exception, but normally when Bobby Petrino leaves your program, it is, it is nuked to the cinders. So, um, I still feel like not to, you know, I I don't want to argue the numbers on Arkansas. I feel like, again, we talk about this a lot, but there's this nine month window where we start building speculation on top of speculation instead of statistics, and that's where we get into this this culture of what we call the bull bounce or what we call the pole bounce. Um, so I think in both in both cases with Auburn and Arkansas, we had a long time to look at positive things and ignore ignore the negative, um, even though the negative the negatives in, in both schools' cases returned. They were still issues. Um, and I think what we're learning in general is that it's 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 unreasonable to expect defensive coordinators to step in and lay hands in, in the course of. I mean, we're sitting here on you know, early in week three, Um, the expectation to have any major defense completely overhauled and fixed in that amount of time with a short recruiting window. Um, And, you know, Will Muschamp is going to do vastly different things than Ellis Johnson did. Um, I think both of those are, are unrealistic expectations.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's it's hard to it's hard to argue that I have to completely stand down when it comes to Arkansas at the moment because I've been wrong. All right, ho- luckily, though, and here's here's a segue for you. Luckily, yeah. so far I have not been wrong about Ole Miss. Um, this so, is a segue. this is a you know uh, you know we're getting practice. This is four episodes. We're basically pros now. Um, well, let me just ask you. Let me just let me start up. Okay.
1: Uh, for those of you who don't know, I went to college at Ole Miss. I am not from Mississippi, but I did live there for a portion of my life. Um, I, if you would have asked me at 15 years old uh, what an Ole Miss was, I wouldn't have been able to tell you that I end up a graduate of the school. What this means, combined with what I do for a living and the fact that I'm sort of the occasionally respectable, hat-wearing, like, reporter for SB Nation, is that I don't, um, put forth any affinity for any program there are programs I like there are programs we all like to watch at SB Nation like I like up until three weeks ago I had a great time when I would watch programs like Georgia Southern I have an affinity for Wyoming um but I don't have like a uh, I'm not like a rah-rah you know school colors like I don't own anything that says Ole Miss um so I get two reactions when people say that they either don't believe me um, and those are usually people with affinity or ties to, to some rival program in the Southeastern Conference. And then um, because media bias is like oh, it is just an ever-present constant threat here. Like media, media bias for or against a particular SEC program where I live is, is, is far more dangerous than, than ISIS coming in to the Gulf <laughs> Coast. And then the second reaction is that um, if they don't believe me, if they do believe me, they get resentful. That's usually more the the Ole Miss people I know because they think that I should be um, like a card-carrying rah-rah rebel. The point in me bringing all this up is, Bill, it it is impossible for me to have perspective on Ole Miss. It was the first program I covered uh, both as a student journalist and as a professional reporter. It's the program I obviously know the most about by default. When we sit here and have conversations about any topic in college football, inherently, inevitably, you and I will revert to our alma maters only because that's sort of – that's our base of knowledge um accordingly I have been accused of in the past and, it, and and I would probably say it's true being uh extremely to insanely um overly critical of Ole Miss and the reason why is because um I I came to Ole Miss at a time where they were still sort of bumbling and stumbling and doing a lot of the old boy bad stuff in the athletic department and screwing up easy wins and both, both like actual literal wins on the football field and then just sort of normal societal things. So now that Hugh Freeze has come in and, and sort of, you know, I knew everything about the process that brought him here. I know everything, most everything about what he's built. Um, I have been wrong in assuming that this is a house of cards. Um, so now here we stand where I had to have an argument when I was in Oxford four weeks ago to see Friends um and, and the the argument basically ended with me realizing that Ole Miss might have the best defense in college football and, and it's just such a foreign thing for me to think and 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 if you're a Mississippi State fan you might be listening to this and, and actually agreeing there's a culture in Mississippi that's self defeated it has absolutely nothing to do with numbers and so I I'm gonna lay this at your feet. Because, because, you know, first and foremost, you're an analyst, and you're going to, as much as you love the tradition and, and all the proclivities and picadillos of college football, you can strip all that crap aside and tell me whether or not this is real, because people are asking me going into Alabama. This is the last historical footnote I'll give you, but the kind of enthusiasm that's going around. So, like, I was in Knoxville last week, Bill, and uh, working all day for SB Nation, doing stuff on the site. Kind of basically live blogging, and at certain points, at certain Chad Kelly touchdowns, my phone would explode from like my friends, my wife's friends, my my dad, who's a giant adopted Ole Miss fan. Now, Chad Kelly's going to win the Heisman. He's better than any <laughs> back to Ohio State. Uh, they're making the playoffs. so that that's the that's the level of expectation. And this reminds me so much of the David Cutcliffe years, where like a two and 3 and Ole Miss team would go into Tuscaloosa thinking that they had some sort of shot, and then uh, I think the the the. the, the pulling a number out of my butt but like it's it was on average a 42 to 3 loss so i'm gonna push all this to the pot put put the pile in the middle and i want you to suss all this out and i want you to tell me and i'm going to take whatever you tell me and that's going to be my opinion when i do radio spots and all this other crap the rest of <laughs> so so it's all yours take it away
0: okay um so college football has this way of 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 I, I don't know how to put it, of reinforcing your beliefs uh, because it does – well, number one, your school's history is long enough that you can pretty much co- come up with examples of anything. Um, you know, Missouri fans thinking their school is cursed, for instance, because because a bad team lost because of a fifth down in 90, uh, because a 7-4 team lost because of the kickball in 97. Anytime anything bad happens whatsoever uh, in any game, people will call those two memories bad. Uh, uh, call back those two memories maybe they weren't even alive in 1990 but that's proof you know that's just Missouri luck you know everybody has their um their defeated side of the fan base that will just kind of add to that anytime something bad happens so last year you know I ended up on outside the lines that one time uh talking about you know because I'd written that piece about hey uh Ole Miss and Mississippi State might be the two best teams in the country right now I think they were at that point well Mississippi State wasn't Ole Miss I had no problem thinking of them as number one Uh, Mississippi State was definitely top five or Um, ten, but it was just it was a really cool story that these two programs would rise at the exact same time. And and so I, you know, when I wrote about them, I would point out, especially with Ole Miss, that these numbers are legit. That defense is absurdly good, and the offense um, can't run. (laughs) That 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 was a problem even uh, when they were building uh, early on, but they had a really nice diverse receiving core. And uh, they had a go-to guy in Treadwell, and they had all these pieces that, from a number standpoint, they were the best team in the country through whatever that was, eight games or seven games. And, you know, even when they lost to Ole Miss, that was kind of, I mean, to LSU, that was kind of a thing where um, that's a loss that good teams suffer. You know, in, in Baton Rouge, against Les Miles, last second uh, weird play, it was a dumb play. It was a dumb throw by Bo Wallace, but it was still, that's an exact scenario that has ensnared lots of really good teams before. So I was able to overlook that and just think that was kind of, that was unlucky, you know. Uh, and then the next week happens, and they suffer what might be the most crippling loss that I can think of in a very, very long time. It's like, you know, the Virginia-Notre Dame game the other day. If only Notre Dame had scored that winning touchdown and Virginia's best player had gotten lost for the season. Well, and Virginia was number one in the freaking country or top five all at the same time. Um, there were such circumstances to that loss. The way that Treadwell not only got hurt, but hurt, got hurt while go, uh, scoring the go-ahead touchdown that got negated. Um, I can't think of a more painful loss than that in a long time.
1: No, and, and you know, not to propagate crap, Cause this is exactly set up, this is what I said I wouldn't do before I let you talk, but you cannot name me a crueler way for a game to end. Star player, best player on the field uh, for either team, in my opinion. Uh, season-ending injury that causes him to fumble the ball in the end zone, which would have been the winning score. Yep. I don't know if that's, I mean, I'm sure somewhere, like in 19... 19- 05 at Rutgers, I'm sure something happened where like a guy's head fell off when he was, you know, with the game winning safety or what such. But like that's that propagates exactly what you talked about, which is the the, the that mysticism that, that helps bend your opinion to fact.
0: Right. And you that know? was and that it happened to Ole Miss and that the fans were basically braced for that exact thing to happen and then it did. Um, that, you know, Screw numbers at that point, right? What, how, what can I tell you that you're going to believe after you went through that as an old Miss fan? Uh, but then of, after that, of course they collapsed. Like, that was the most predictable thing in the world. That, I mean, the, the fact that they rallied to beat Mississippi State was actually pretty impressive. Um, but, I mean, the, the, getting blown out by Arkansas and TCU was incredibly predictable, especially with how pissed off TCU was. But so I mean yeah if you know if if you look at last year as basically good team that faded you know suffered a key injury and faded but returns most of a really 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 good defense and a, and a good receiving core that makes that that's all uh, perfectly sensible and I, I thought they were a top 10 team because of that um, what was I figured the, the biggest question mark for them heading into this year was can they run the ball this time because they, I mean, last year they just really couldn't. They, you know, Jalen Walton would have, you know, one big run a game and then get one yard per carry the rest of his carries. Um, so we're still waiting to figure that out for sure. Obviously, Fresno State's defense sucks right now, and UT Martin is UT Martin, uh, but they can really, really run the ball so far. You know, that's they averaged like nine yards per carry. They had what thirty-six carries per... 338 yards against UT Martin, and that includes a 21-yard quote-unquote team loss. I can't remember if that was a bad snap or what. Uh, so they, uh, otherwise, they had 35 carries for 359 yards. That's good against a high school team. Against Fresno State, um, they, they, were, they only averaged 6.1 yards per carry, but while they were doing that, Chad Kelly was going 20 for 25 for 346 because their receiving core is awesome. So, you know, that's – that's kind of what i needed to see and it is early and they're going to lose to alabama i'd be shocked if they won that game because it's alabama it's alabama in tuscaloosa and bama's one of the few teams i trust more than Ole miss right now uh so it kind of stinks that that game's already coming up so we can't you know that's right. going to color our perception of Ole miss one way or the other um but this is a really good team and you know if they can at least if if they lose 42 to 3 to alabama uh then again what can the numbers tell you at that point but, uh, you know, on paper, if you take a – The, the members, members are going
1: to tell you they're going to be a really fun team to watch in the Outback Bowl.
0: <laughs> well, and, and they're worse – hey, they're worse based than that. But, um, but but yeah, it's it's really – I see what I can uh, – what I need to see on paper, and now they just have to go out and not collapse this time.
1: I'm uh, – <laughs> there's also – and I'm sure you've run into this – arguing numbers against sort of, I don't know, superstition and, and hokum and fables. But, uh, you know, I, w- I actually was assigned to cover the Ole Miss Alabama game last year in Oxford, and when I wrote the piece about sort of the fans tearing down the end zone and the football and, you know, the team in the, in the Ole Miss team in the post game saying, yeah, like, we, we physically matched up with them. You know, we were on their level, and, you know, a couple things went our way, but whatever we executed won the game – you know the headline of the of the of the piece I wrote that I suggested that made it through was the day that never comes because it's just it's happened three times since I've been alive, <laughs> um, and so yeah, I, I definitely see, and this is again why I wanted to bring this up. One also because I think it's the game of the week, but um, it's just there's so much, all this stuff that we beat our chests about in this sport. Can it, it's like. Uh, it's like fatty tailgate food or something or like, you know, some sort of bacon-wrapped thing that's fried where it's great and it's unique and it's it's fun and it's kitsch and we talk about it all the time, but it's also like going to give you a heart attack one day um, or or maybe, I don't know, there's a better metaphor where it's actually like a brain-eating amoeba because it is impossible to rationalize some of these games. Um, I really like the concept and I would I would encourage everyone to do this use the F-plus, use Bill stuff, use anybody, whatever. Use anybody's stuff, strip the names off these teams and just look at them numerically and you'll start to get a better idea. I think Vegas is always a good place to start. I was a little surprised that they opened at 8.5. Alabama did as a favorite. But also Alabama's had to show absolutely nothing yeah. two games. Absolutely nothing. Um, th- you know, the, uh, gosh, I think CBS and ESPN both do this around NCAA basketball tournament time. They just give you, you know, the blind resumes. They don't tell you who the team is and it's always interesting to see who you pick based on just pure merit or, or, and the numbers. So I would I would if you're an Ole Miss fan, let's do this, you're an Alabama fan or whatever. Uh or if you know it's your own team and you feel like you've got some sort of just impossible monkey to get off your back. Just just look at the numbers.
0: I think um, I'm looking up last year's box score. Um Jalen Walton had eleven carries for thirty nine yards against Alabama last year and they won. Um yeah. I I think um Alabama right now their passing game. I I, th- I think Alabama's fine, but their passing game isn't quite where it's going to be yet. Uh, so in that way, maybe it's a good it's a good time to catch all, uh, Alabama, even though it's
1: uh, earlier than I would prefer on the schedule. But um, you know, it's a very strange schedule, and, and, and the league has not. I don't think we've done a good enough job in the media addressing how sometimes bad and unfortunate. And I'm not speaking for one team or the other in this situation, but. Since since Missouri and Texas A and M have come in, and since the decision was made to keep permanent cross division opponents to really preserve two games at the expense of, of twelve other teams or uh, ten other teams, uh, the scheduling has not been good in the Southeastern Conference in terms of when these games roll. Uh, you know, t- traditional rivalry games have been moved around, bounced around, some up front, some late. There's been very little consistency. I've taught. I mean, I've heard this from every single fan base, with the exception of the two new schools that are sort of just kind of figuring out their own tradition as they go. Um, it, it has not gone well. Hey man, and don't pin,
0: don't pin SoCon Saturday on Missouri, man.
1: No, no, no. <laughs> I, I wasn't referring to that. I was actually referring more to the placement of um, certain games in the year, sort of sporadically, season by season. So uh, I'm trying to think of a good example. As a you know, for instance, they, they they were able to preserve Tennessee and Alabama and Georgia and Auburn, which is sort of the core of this entire maneuver. And everything else has been thrown first week, last week. You know, there's been no real rhythm to it. I think probably the most consistent thing that's happened is that Tennessee and Vanderbilt are now season-ending rivals, and right. Kentucky and Louisville figured out a way to play each other, you know, Thanksgiving, which is just seems logical. Um, all right, I don't want to get too far down in the uh, in the fine-bomb weeds here. Um right. Let's get out of uh, let's get out of the southeastern conference for a second. Is there anything else this week that you're excited about, um, other than that one big game?
0: Um, well, you know Missouri's defense looks good. I'll, okay, we'll move okay. we'll move on before I have to say anything about the offense. But um, you know they, they they accidentally had four freshmen on the defensive line at one point last week, and Arkansas State went three and out, so that was fun. Um, let's see. I'm scrolling through the main scores. I think that's about it. I really, and I wrote about this in the numerical today. It should go up at some point soon if it hasn't already. But um, the, I, I, I watched a lot of Georgia Vanderbilt because that Georgia was one of those teams where I, you know, the numbers projected them really high. And my own thoughts were, you know, yeah, they they've recruited better than anybody realizes. They're loaded. You know, all they need to do is answer questions at quarterback and offensive coordinator, those little things, and they'll be fine. Um, and so, but you know, putting that out there, I've been really kind of nervous about their quarterback situation. And I was even more nervous when Grayson Lambert won the job because I saw Grayson Lambert last year and I was kind of hoping that Bryson Ramsey was better than that. Um, so I was really curious about Georgia Vanderbilt, not that whether Georgia would win, of course they were going to, but how much, and Mm. I was not sold at all. Now Vanderbilt's defense might be really good. They held Western Kentucky 14 points. That's impressive too um but whatever Lambert was like 11 for 21 for 115 or something like that that's not what i needed to see so uh that that's still tbd i guess now I now like, now yeah. moving on from this okay. uh i loved
1: uh getting to watch the replay uh, yesterday afternoon loved everything about michigan state and oregon loved oh, yeah. that the series got signed as quickly as it did with the short turnaround this, was the, this is the example that I would give for um, when athletic directors say, oh, it's really difficult, you can't get things together, you need a long lead time if you don't, you don't know the two, the two schools will be um, you know, a certain caliber when they end up playing each other. This is the contradiction to all of that because they knew they were going to be good because they had consistency in the program within the coaching staff and recruiting everything year-to-year year had built to two great games that showed off two great teams that had a, you know, I think it's safe to say Saturday's game in East Lansing will have a strong, if not massive, impact on on the playoff. So why can't we do this, like, 20 more times a year?
0: Yeah, I think this was – it was such a positive home-and-home. Home. I think that was the most important part because, I mean, I, I will – to some degree at least, defend Baylor for scheduling the way Baylor does because – or like Kansas State in the 90s because it worked. It it absolutely worked for them. Um, and, you know, as as has been pointed out uh, uh, regarding last year, Baylor would have made the playoff if, like, if Florida State lost one of those 28 games that they should have lost last year. Yep. So it can work, and I, I defend it because it is logical and pragmatic. Um, and so I, I kind of hate the, the committee approach to, you know – um, you know, just the idea of like last year when, when TCU was supposedly being rewarded for simply playing Minnesota. That's not the way that's supposed to work. We, we'll figure out who the four best, team, best slash most deserving teams are no matter what. But teams should schedule home and homes like that simply because it's fun and intense and it gets you national attention. And it might not hurt you in the playoffs. There's, you know, if Oregon goes on to do what Oregon is supposed to do, then they can still make the playoff pretty easily uh, despite losing this game. And that's what I hope the message is, not you have to play a game like this to make the playoff, just that you can because it's fun college football and you can still make the playoff if you lose.
1: I'm super excited this weekend for a couple things that don't involve uh, Ole Miss and Alabama. One of them is actually, I really didn't think I'd be saying this, Notre Dame and Georgia Tech. Yeah. This is a game that uh, even with the loss of Zaire, quarterback for Notre Dame, I think is going to be exciting and close and salty um, because I've got this multiple articles pulled up from from the Notre Dame and Georgia Tech media about how Paul Johnson really doesn't hate Brian Van Gorder. He does a lot, and it goes back to, of all places, uh, where I was in week one, Statesboro, Georgia. The shortest version of this story, the CliffsNot- these are just the cliff notes that you need. Paul Johnson resurrected Georgia Southern uh, by using the triple option as head coach. So, that, so basically, Johnson's national title win, I think in 99, as an FCS team, was what got him the Navy job, which is what got him to Georgia Tech. And he has not changed anything about his offense. He's a you know ardent supporter of that. A few years down the road, Brian Van Gorder came in as head coach at Georgia Southern. He lasted one year. He's, he basically just castigated publicly the, the triple option. Said it was stupid. It wasn't going to work. He couldn't recruit kids. He flushed all the traditions down there in Statesboro, and he was very public about this. Paul Johnson. I look. I've, I've got these articles pulled up where Johnson plays down the road. Oh, I don't even know the guy. Whatever. I talked to Johnson on the phone about about this subject in the spring, and it came up multiple times about what happens when you know at a program like Georgia Southern when it gets pulled away by someone who thinks they know what they're doing. He does not like this guy. The state of Georgia hates Brian Van Gorder for a variety of reasons. Uh, I know Auburn fans hate him, too, but, I mean, he's had a really – he's kind of the Lane Kiffin of defensive coordinators at this point. And if Johnson gets the chance, you know, he talked about Ole Miss, and the reason why everyone's so bullish on the Rebels is the gaudy amount of points that they're putting up and a new quarterback. Georgia Tech is doing on offense right now is – it's murder porn. I mean, it's awful because it's just so much more physical and unrelenting. It's almost sort of like a machine that once you turn off, the owner, the owner can't find a way to make it stop until what? it just runs out of gas.
0: Right. I mean, what's he going to do? He's going to put in the backups and run the same offense. That was, you know, that was old Bobby Bowden's approach, uh, defense for you know, continuing to pass when his team was up big, and he just said, that's our offense. What are we supposed to do? Uh, except you know, Paul Johnson's not passing. So yeah, if it works, it's gonna keep working, and there's really no way to stop it until uh,
1: until sixty minutes are over. Now, now, all that being said, I don't necessarily think that Notre Dame is a bad defensive team. No, no, no. Uh, in fact, I'm pulling up the S and P rankings right now, but you know, it's it's not something as like I'm trying to think where they were in 2014. Oh, they changed not, a lot. I mean, They were not good last year. They've shown. I mean, I've I've seen, and again, this goes back to. I didn't really mean to be this circuitous, but the pole thing is so bad right now because you have such a little sample size. I could say, I I, I want to defend the Notre Dame defense to make this seem like a great matchup, but what do you glean from that Texas game? How much of that was a defensive effort and how much of that was just absolutely grasping at straws on the other side of the field? Right, and
0: and I mean, one thing that um, Notre Dame kind of has going for it in a way is just that defending... The what Paul Johnson calls the spread option, is different than defending other things. It's a completely different set of assignments. You're looking for different things. Um, And so basically, uh, whether you are good or bad at defense doesn't necessarily say whether you're going to be good or bad at uh, defending Georgia Tech. You're probably going to be bad at it because most teams are. uh, But they do have enough just meat up front that they can kind of – uh, you know, obviously, cut blocks start start to work into this too. But they, if if you can just kind of push the offensive line backwards a little bit, get a you know get a decent push on them, that will disrupt things uh, with the option more than
1: anything else. The reason uh, I like Georgia Tech so much in this game is that schedule wise, circumstance, and all that other stuff fits Georgia Tech's uh, desire, which is the get gets you outside of the last game of the year, the first game of the year. There's no buy, bye. Right. Uh, Notre Dame is reeling. They've got to replace their quarterback. Um, they're probably, without looking at the depth chart, I know they're a little banged up, um, coming into a situation in which you have to adjust entirely. This is exactly how Georgia Tech, the Service Academies, Georgia Southern even, which runs a modified version now, this is what they want. This is They love this. And I, I don't think going into South Bend is going to matter whatsoever. I'm trying to see the last time they scored... I mean, really, you look at just a phenomenal Clemson defense last year in November, held them under 30 points, and then before that uh, was a loss to Duke. And so, I mean, it's been pretty, he's he's built pretty consistently, right about the point in time in which the Atlanta media kind of maybe mid-13 or early 2013 started to sort of speculate openly as to whether or not Johnson was going to last another three or four years. I don't know if people forget that, but, like, there was serious talk around Georgia Tech of, like, should they move on? Should they scrap this whole thing? And it was really after that Music City Bowl lost to Ole Miss. Um, clearly, they're fine. They're absolutely fine. And yes. clearly he – and the other the other myth before we move on is you can't recruit to this system. <laughs> As if there's not a ton of overlooked running quarterbacks in in the not only the southeastern footprint but nationally that he can't bring in to to teach this offense to right That's ridiculous
0: it, to the extent that he has a problem it's defense and um, in theory you should still be able to recruit better to defensively than he has. Um, but, no, you can absolutely positively recruit to that system, especially in the South. There's a reason why Navy, Air Force, and Army all run variations of this system, because you don't have to recruit blue chippers to make it work. So, uh, yeah, that's that's kind of an insane uh, Long, long, long ago point made by, uh, Mr. Van Gorder. But yes, a- after Duke last year, they scored 43, 56, 35, 56, 28 against one of the two or three best defenses in the country. 30, 30 35, 49. And they, and it really felt like that Mississippi state game. It really kind of felt like it could have been like 70, um, so, yeah, the office, uh, offense has rarely been his problem, but last year was one of his best versions of that offense because, I mean, he had a quarterback. He had the perfect quarterback, um, and, and that guy's still healthy. So, good luck, Notre Dame.
1: Uh, two other games, real fast, that I, um, please throw the numbers on these, but just in terms of media coverage, public perception, um, fan expectation, Um I guess we could call them the dear God games where it's like, dear God, you, you, we better win this game. And both fan bases equally feel like this. One is Rutgers-Penn State for obvious <laughs> reasons. Um, and then the other one, which I think is going to be really interesting, is Texas Tech and Arkansas. Um, not really sure how either fan base could rationalize losing to that team right now. Texas Tech is looking at this saying this is, this is an anemic offense It's a good defense, but it's an anemic offense. So we should be able to outscore these guys. Arkansas is saying, well, we beat these guys last year in Lubbock, so this is a regression if we lose this game. How in the world – we're an SEC-caliber defense. How in the world can we not shut down an air raid? Um, Then Rutgers-Penn State, I mean, it just sort of explains itself. Uh, The the loser of this game, kind of it for the year. You're pretty much set upon a path of of, – I mean – fair to Midland at best. If Penn State loses this game, I mean, it's it's going to be really yeah. bad.
0: Yeah, and I would say that this game, you know, I agree with the premise, but this game means a little more to Penn State and Arkansas. At least a loss would mean a little more to Penn State and Arkansas. Um, for, for basically the reasons you like, I mean, Rutgers, Rutgers is, is already sinking uh, into the river. Like, there's... Now, this, out
1: of the four teams, Rutgers can rationalize this the best because of the losses that they've had because right. of the off-field stuff. But I think it, I mean, at Texas Tech, I think people are sleeping on right now the anxiety over what Kingsbury is going to build for the long term. This is the, I think the, the, the perception on this game has changed dramatically since the Toledo loss. I think fans are not necessarily going in there expecting a win or a dominant win, but they are expecting Texas Tech to come in there and be competitive, put points on the board, and possibly steal one. Because that would be probably one of the best I mean, it's hard to say that after Toledo, but it's one of the best wins since Kingsbury's been there.
0: Yeah, it absolutely would be, and, I, and it would be a really good win because I still think Arkansas is good. So um, I don't How
1: jump t- off bandwagons that easy. How fast does Arkansas fix this? Because I do believe that Arkansas is a good program. I do believe that they're doing everything uh, the right way, and I don't mean that in a moral way. I mean that they're building towards success. How fast do you think this thing corrects itself?
0: I... I I don't think there's as much to correct. I mean, their deficiencies are kind of what they were last year, but they figured out how to be good with those deficiencies last year. Like I said, I mean, this was um, – it took a lot for them to lose to Toledo. It was one of those games where, you know, you roll a dice and you're going to win two-thirds of the time, but it, you, you rolled a one, and therefore uh, you lost. And, and so I'm not going to – they're not a top 10 team, but they're still better than Texas tech, or at least I think they are. Here's a chance for them to prove me right. Come on, Arkansas. I'm I'm totally, I'm in the front car of the bandwagon here. You should probably pay me off for that. But, um, you know, Tex text defense is still, it's, it's still the worst unit of the four in that
1: game. Absolutely. And the other thing too, that we've talked about on this show before is I think David Gibbs is slowly earning our Kevin Steele, um, Required mention right. of the week uh, uh, status, but they're predicated on creating turnovers in the passing game. That's kind of what they do. That's their little niche. Yeah, I don't think you're going to have that many opportunities. No, no. Um, Western Kentucky and Indiana Bill could be the game that gets Kevin Wilson eventually fired. They've actually
0: that game was two weeks ago in southern against Southern Illinois, and they figured out how to still win it. So hey, man, they beat Southern Illinois. They beat FIU. They beat UCF. Conqueror FIU. Um, I, I really I'm struggling to figure out what 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 Wilson's status is, and I I'm I like Kevin Wilson a lot. I, I, he was incredible at OU, um, and I think that you know, I, well I think he wanted a head coaching job, which is why he took the Indiana job. But it's still sure. a brave thing to do. Um, so I mean, I kind of still hope he succeeds to some degree, but yeah, I, I mean. If it, you know, I, I know they gave him a really long contract, so buying out a long contract is going to be kind of difficult. But, yeah, this is a this is still a key year. If you're not going to make a bowl, you at least have to convince te- people that you might soon. And, um, you know, they're 2-0. and oh, Let's see, I'm pulling up their schedule here. They get Rutgers at home. They get Wake Forest. Um, so, in theory, that's four. They get Iowa and Michigan at home. If you can win one of t- two, that's five. And then Purdue is six. Well, at Purdue, Purdue's is better too, actually. But you can you can at least you can at least figure out a path to six wins without beating Western Kentucky. Uh, but if you beat Western Kentucky, suddenly you're you're almost likely to get six wins. So um, it is it is definitely big. I don't think he's gonna get fired yet. But if he loses to Western Kentucky and Wake Forest the week after, then mm. I'll I'll, I'll kind of
1: quietly change my mind on that one. Um, Not-so-secret terrible game, Georgia and South Carolina. I I just kind of want to bring that up to make Georgia fans anxious. This is the year that you are absolutely, without excuse, supposed to beat South Carolina. (laughs) Um, And if you lose this year and cause Missouri to win the East, then you are fatally flawed. Um, And then super-secret good game uh, that only nerds like us that have podcasts and spend all day talking about college football are going to be super excited to watch on our, probably it looks like on our phones, Memphis at Bowling Green. Hell yeah. Yeah,
0: and and Memphis might. be legitimately awesome. Um, not completely convinced of that yet, but they've done exactly what they needed to do each of the first two weeks. And um, you know, if their defense can hold up, apparently Bowling Green now that they got that quarterback uh, Johnson, now that he's healthy again, since he really wasn't last year, they've got everything they need to run that offense. So yeah, that one. I, I wish that one was on TV.
1: I got mean about uh, those open Big Ten jobs last week because of the situation, recruiting the disadvantage, facilities fan support, all that stuff, right? We're talking about Purdue, Indiana, Illinois, et cetera. Um, a guy that you should go out and hire and throw the bank at is Justin Fuentes because I think the hands-down best job that's been done in college football to this point right now is, is what he's done at Memphis. The reason I say that is the familiarity I have with the program, the resources that have been allocated, Memphis is heavily reliant on the city, Uh, of Memphis, which has never been in a fiscal position to really sort of shower a college sports program. Uh, I say that, although, I mean, you know, the Memphis Tigers basketball program was a big reason the FedEx Forum was built, but it's not a football town. It's not a football program. Memphis is probably the least football town, despite having so much football talent in the entire Southeast. Um, That program has been ignored in football for years. What Tommy West was able to sort of eke out was a miracle unto itself. This is the guy you hire at an FBI, or I'm sorry, at a Power Five program that needs to wholesale change its culture, its approach, and find new ways to recruit talent. This is your guy. Now, whether or not you get him to a place that I feel like is as hopeless as uh, Illinois, (laughs) um, that you know, good luck. But this is your guy. This is to me right now. On September, whatever it is, is the number one uh, power five head coaching candidate out there. I and and the speed with which he built, rebuilt
0: Memphis makes no sense. Uh, you know, he Larry Porter, <laughs> he he's clearly good at a lot of things. He was not ready to be a head coach, and he you know they, they were three and twenty one. I think Fuente told me when they when they walked in the door, they had like fifty something scholarship players. Um, like that that was an absolute train wreck and they immediately, even in, even in 2012 when they were still terrible, they were less terrible. They were definably less terrible. They had, they had a couple of competitive moments. Um, they, they suffered a bunch of injuries, I believe, if I remember right, in 2013. And then, yeah, last year they had the experience and, and reasonable depth, and they exploded. And this year they, again, it's Missouri State and Kansas, but they beat the hell out of both of those teams like a good team would. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what is it, 118 to 30 is their score in those two games.
1: So I I just feel like I'm doing a poor job selling the disparity that that is Memphis football because people are going to look at a map and go, well, look how much talent is in that area. But, yeah, look at who fights over that city. Also, a good rule of thumb is that any – and I'll say this publicly. uh, People know my my background in reporting this kind of stuff. A good rule of thumb is whoever's winning Memphis in recruiting, quotation marks winning Memphis – is uh, cheating their ass off. So, uh, not only do you have talent leaving for schools in every direction, uh, in the SEC and elsewhere, but also you have talent that uh, you couldn't bankroll if you wanted to at Memphis. So, again, I just I, I think what the guy's done is absolutely amazing. And when he got the job, I felt terrible for him because he was a great play caller at TCU.
0: Yeah, I, I'm, I've been blown away. And the fact that, I mean, I, I thought, you know, the, the main reason for their success in the first three years was defense more than offense, and um, you know he lost Barry Odom to Missouri actually, uh, and and again we don't we, it's been two games and and they they allowed twenty three points to Kansas so clearly not sold on that
1: no and they graduated some on defense right yeah I
0: expected a regression on that side I thought they could still be good yeah. if the offense could make up the difference and so far it has. So um, yeah, just, they just—they have all the signs of a good team right now. We'll just see if they keep it up. I'm actually really excited. Um, this wasn't even my idea. I like writing about the mid majors as much as humanly possible, but sure. it, it doesn't get something that we call hits. Um, so I don't—I don't get to do just a ton of it, except in the off season when I spend months doing it. But um, tomorrow, I think the the topic of of you know tomorrow's win projection Wednesday, uh, because that's really catchy. And uh, I get to talk about the mid-majors, the group of five, BYU and all that. Because, uh, you know, even with Boise State losing, we have a really potentially fun race for that gang of five uh, bowl spot.
1: Hey, hey, it's deep, man. I, look, I wouldn't count out, even, even though they got completely rocked and I was there to see it, I wouldn't count out Georgia Southern in the Sun Belt, Western Kentucky in the CUSA, BYU. Temple. Well, BYU,
0: as we got castigated last week, BYU does not count. So I'm going to have to write about BYU, whether they how how they could go about making the playoff because they are not eligible for that group of five spots. Ah, okay. But um, even without well, them, even without Boise State, who isn't eliminated, obviously. But, yeah, you've still got Memphis. I mean, in the American alone,
1: Bill, we're yeah. talking about Cincinnati, Temple, Houston, and uh, some other team that I wasn't prepared to well, say. Memphis. Memphis, yes. <laughs> <laughs> of course, the one that was right in front of me. Um Western Kentucky and Marshall and these are just the I mean this is just the top bowling green. Yeah, Bowling so how Green. Many, how many schools have we just named there? Well, I don't bowling think green, anybody Toledo, else. Had... Toledo. Toledo. Okay. So so one or two teams from the Mac, I think only one from the Sun Belt, unless ULL really man, unless yeah, Husky hard just even, as one, a...
0: even one from the Sun Belt's gonna be tricky, but
1: yeah, yeah. but still. Um, and then I think, you know, the upper tier of the entire American Athletic Conference, which is really as it should be. I mean, that's a more talented conference than the other ones that we're mentioning. And then, uh, I mean, you're, you're, I think it'll, it'll shave down in the next couple of weeks to like a five-team, six-team race. But it's going to be really interesting to watch. Yeah, no, And look, don't count out a one-loss Boise team.
0: No, 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 not at all. I, we get to we get to ignore them for a little bit because all these other teams are new and more fun to talk about. But yeah, they still have a very, very good chance of going 11 and one and getting that bid. This is going to be that Boise year,
1: just like last year was. They go in, they lose an opening game to an SEC team, and then they just oh hey,
0: is it is it New Year's Day? Is Boise in a major bowl? Yeah, oh well, hell, they're they're 12 and one. A good team, right? They're 12 oh. and one. When how did that happen? Yeah.
1: Uh, that's really what's going to happen to them this year because uh, one of the stories that Bill and I had to kill for SB Nation was had uh, Boise been undefeated going into, I was going to go see them in Charlottesville, play a possibly good, decent Virginia team. Definitely decent. And, and then measure their prospect of a kind of weak schedule uh, in terms of their playoff resume if they were undefeated at the end of the year. Now, uh, Brian Harson himself has said, He's on record, and I, th- I actually applaud him for, for, for saying this. He knows the circumstances around Boise State. He says, look, if, if we have one loss, you know, it's going to be pretty much impossible for us to make the playoff. If we're undefeated, I feel like we should at least be considered. And so now, you you know, playoffs out of the picture this year, um, they're just – I think they were too inexperienced at quarterback, yeah. and they weren't superb on defense. So Well, that I quarterback
0: mean, just – he needs to figure out – the biggest problem with BYU is he said, "Okay, I'm going to throw into that guy. I can make that throw, and he couldn't actually yes. make that throw." Yes. Um, so he just need, he needs to get a little better grip of what he can and can't do. That was a that was a super fun game to watch. It was it was well played, despite the fact that the refs kept changing the definition of what you could and couldn't get away with. Yeah. Um, it was just a. Just absolutely miserable in that regard, but if you skip the flags, uh, it was a really fun, creative game. And, um, you know, a quick recommendation to BYU, uh, you might not want to wait till the last play of the game to win these games, or the last minute.
1: You will um, lose. Hey, they will lose to UCLA if they try and play <laughs> yeah, like that. Yeah, most likely. But yeah, this, that's – this magical journey ends in uh, Saturday night if you if you try that if you try that again.
0: Yeah, and that's going to be. I get to write about them now. Uh, you know, basically, if they go undefeated, do they make the playoff? I actually think they might because undefeated yeah. at this point would include wins over Nebraska and Boise State and UCLA and Michigan and Missouri. Missouri. Yeah, absolutely. I think they're in. I don't. It's not going to happen because yeah, you're not going to win 12 hail mary games. No. But um, it's really fun to watch, and I kind of hope they pull a, a, another upset or two. And then, and then of course, lose to Missouri, but that's a different well,
1: story. Well, and, and, you know, I, I wrote a piece as well as I could because BYU is a very buttoned-up program, and they just don't give access to sites like ours, or really a lot of people, honestly. It's not just us. But um, as well as we could, we try to break down their intentions on scheduling and what they want to do and, you know, how hard they've been courting the Big 12. Um, it will be really interesting to see if they go – I, you know, I really don't see them going undefeated but let's just say 10 and two wherever that places them in the scheme of partner bowls or tie-ins or, or whatever I, you know uh, uh, going into last season BYU was convinced that there was not a bias but just an inevitability of, that they could not schedule this well they've kind of locked out they've had you know we just got done talking about how thin Boise was this year um, partially because of the Mountain West, but BYU as an independent did a really good job this year, I thought. Nebraska, uh, UCLA, Missouri, uh, which is the first SEC school they've scheduled in a long time. Uh, You know, that was the reason we wrote the story last year was they went to places like Middle Tennessee because they would recruit the Southern footprint, but they couldn't actually get a Southern school to play them. Um, I'm trying to think, who else? What's the other major caliber game on their schedule, Bill?
0: That might be – it's the first four in the Missouri. They still have a lot of dead yeah. weight on there.
1: Uh, well, and, and really the reason why they have dead weight, and this is what I learned talking to the few people that would talk to us from BYU, is when you're an independent, Notre Dame is one thing, okay? But look at Notre Dame. They've, they they entered into a scheduling agreement with the ACC to fill out the late-year meet because everyone's in conference play. You don't want to play BYU in November. no. Okay, I mean, it, one, there's not a lot of schools who logistically can, and two, after that, there's not a lot of schools that want to at all, especially to go out to, to Provo. So, if they pull it off this year, um, I still think they're going to throw everything they've got at joining uh, the Big Twelve. That's really sort of the only home I think they could find. Yeah, I
0: don't know what uh, you know, Pac twelve is not going to happen, so uh, it would no. kind of have to be the the Big Twelve. I am looking at their schedule now. They uh, they do have okay, so it's uh, at UCLA and then at Michigan. Um, then they get UConn at home, but then they get, both at home, they get East Carolina and Cincinnati. At the very least, that is all sorts of entertaining. That is going to be fun as hell, and And the Cincinnati game is on Friday.
1: Those are good games. I mean, they... They they were smart in which you know when the Big Twelve and the SEC would you know basically ignored their request for scheduling. They said all right, well let's try and get the best yeah. AAC teams we can. This you is know? like a
0: old the the college basketball RPI scheduling where you know okay so you don't you don't really control how many marquee top twenty games you get, but but get as few awful games as possible. Right. So you get ECU and Cincy. then they get Wagner and and San Jose, which qualifies as awful. Although San, San Jose. Not completely convinced they're awful, but they probably are. Uh, then the Missouri, uh, Fresno at home, which is kind of awful, although it was unintended awful. And then Utah State on the road. So that's still that's still that's that's tough. That's a that's a good schedule. And if you can go twelve and zero in that, you should be in the playoff.
1: Jumping ahead, look at some of the the deals that they've landed recently. Um, it's possible this thing could work if, if they don't join the Big Twelve. Next year, Arizona, West Virginia, Michigan State, uh, and UCLA again. 2017, LSU at the uh, – uh, it's not the Advocare. It's the Texas kickoff. It's the one in the Texan Stadium in Houston. Mm-hmm. Uh, LSU, Utah, Wisconsin, Mississippi State, uh, Boise again. You know, uh, and then I'm trying to think. It's You know, it gets a, it's a little thin by our current measurement in some years, like 2018, Arizona, Cal, Wisconsin, Washington. You know, look – I'm only rattling off four and a half teams per year that are that are of merit, but when you break down a big 10 schedule isn't that the same thing? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's
0: that's a, that was the point I kind of tried to make in in my BYU preview earlier is, you know, they're not you know, They're not an elite program, but they've played at the level that would make them better than at least half of the power conferences for a long time. And then you get this schedule like this where you've got five big teams, four major conference teams and Boise, plus, Mm -hmm. again, Utah State, ECU, Cincinnati, some of the best mid-majors in the country, uh, or most consistently good mid-majors. Actually, Bill, hang
1: on a second. Let me take this back. I just pulled up the complete schedule. This is next year's schedule, and I want you to look at it with with this week's eyes right now. Okay. Okay? And tell me, I think they can do this. I don't think they need the Big 12. If they can do what I'm about to read off. um, Arizona, they're playing them at the University of Phoenix Stadium where the Cardinals play. After that, it's at Utah. Home with UCLA. They're playing West Virginia at FedEx Field in Landover, Maryland. Home against Toledo. At Michigan State. Home against Mississippi State. At Boise. Damn. And that's not even the full schedule. They still have Utah State and Cincinnati on here and they're still trying to fill it looks like one slot. That's almost two that's almost that's a better schedule than, than most teams in the top 15 right now have this season.
0: That's almost dumb. That's almost too good. <laughs> but no, I mean this is how you do it. This is you know, they don't have to join a conference. they can just win these games. You know, getting them scheduled is the first step, and then you have to win some of them. And if you can do those two things, then you'll recruit better. Uh, you'll you'll mark out a long-term path, uh, and you'll be back to where you, kind of you were in the mid-'80s. So, um, all, you know, all it takes is winning, and, and they've got two wins so far. So if they can keep it up, they'll just keep, you know, keep on keeping on, I guess. I don't know.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Any other things you're looking forward to anything else that you've learned this week? Um, I'm looking at the schedule here. Uh,
0: it's, it's only Tuesday. So I really, I shut the door on last week on Wednesday. So I haven't really looked ahead yet. Um, okay, here's my chance to make a sarcastic, oh, that, that, that 11 a.m. UConn Missouri game, um, <laughs> going to be something, but, uh, yeah, I mean, just scrolling through here, I, Georgia Tech, Notre Dame is going to be awesome. Uh, I am actually glad Missouri is playing early because a lot of these games are 2:30 and beyond. Um, but you know, Ole Miss, Alabama, I, I do. Uh, let's see, BYU, UCLA. That's probably the best of the ranked games, but that's that's not bad. Um, Clemson, Louisville on Thursday night is actually potentially good because I, I, I I'm not I haven't given up completely on Louisville yet, but they're clearly a work in progress. But more, I'm I'm curious about Clemson now. Their defense. I mean yes they beat Appalachian State congratulations but they dominated Appalachian State. I one of yep. the one of the things the numerical just went up it looks like and uh one of my numbers in there is I don't exactly know how QBR is calculated but I know that Appalachian State's quarterback had a QBR of 1.7 and I know that that's really really bad. He had like he was like 9 for 29 with three picks and a sack. They they are disruptive again. And if uh you know if you've got Deshaun Watson on offense um, granted, he needs receivers, and so you know his his best receiver, you know, hurting his neck didn't really help matters all that much. But if you've got a healthy Deshaun Watson and another one of these disruptive defenses, you really have a chance in the ACC. So I, that's a really tricky game for them Thursday night on the road. But if they can pull, I, I'm curious if they can pull that one off.
1: What's the team? What's the good team that you're that you don't know, or you're, you're the most uncertain about? Is it Clemson? I've I've got a list of schools which I had Ole Miss included on, like outside of you know the top tier. That I feel like there's a lot of them we just don't know any. We, you know we're not ready to make assessments yet.
0: Well, Georgia is is probably the. That's top my number. That was
1: okay. You, t- you took Sim- my game. in. <laughs> Well, you should
0: have answered it um, No, be, because of the quarterback situation. Uh, I like their defense. Obviously, Nick Chubb, although he got hurt. I didn't think – it didn't look like it was too serious, but I know he got hurt, um, like ankle or something like that. Um, but obviously, we, we don't have an answer about the quarterback situation yet. And if, that, if they have a competent passing game, they're a really, really, really good team. Um, but looking at the, the the other top teams right now, I think I've got a good feel for Alabama and Ohio State. i got a good feel for Oregon and Baylor and Michigan State. I think I have a good feel for UCLA at this point, although they can prove me wrong by doing what they did last year and looking awesome
1: and then losing. Um, but Sleep for awesome game in two weeks, I think, is UCLA at uh, Arizona. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but, if it's not really expensive to fly to Arizona, I think I probably would have done that game. Nice.
0: Well, uh, just looking at the top teams, Georgia. I need to know more about. I, I o- Ole Miss is just a waiting game. I, I, th- I think I know about them. They just have to not fall apart. Um, yeah. LSU's quarterback situation is still up in the air. USC is another team that I don't. I, I'm not. I don't know enough about yet. That's a pretty. I, I saw Arkansas State last week. That's a, that's a pretty athletic team that they beat fifty-five to nine. So
1: they really. How much, how much will you learn from Stanford?
0: A lot, because Stanford's still sound. They, they are, Like Arkansas, they might be fatally flawed in their inability to not only get to the opponent's 20-yard line, but then put points on the board from doing so. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and obviously their defensive line is really, really thin. But I think Stanford is still a really sound physical team, so we'll learn a lot from that.
1: Uh, just to jump back to Georgia, the reason why I'm most curious about them, uh, schedule hasn't really told me much yet. Um, don't know how much South Carolina will tell me, although it's a better defense, I think, than what they've seen. Um, I don't know. Well, maybe it's it's on par with Vanderbilt, but, uh, if we open the show sort of talking about the stupid collective theory that, you know, Jeremy Johnson was going to be better than the backup that he was, I mean, I think it's only fair to Auburn fans to say, well, I mean, is Grayson Lambert better than the, the, you know, the Virginia bench rider that he was? Right. And we don't know yet. Yeah. So uh, Georgia to me is the biggest question mark out of all these teams. I can go with that. Yeah. Um, let's see. Let's they, it may be a while too with Georgia because I, I don't see a situation this weekend unless they absolutely just just rail South Carolina where I'm gonna feel one way or the other about what they're doing.
0: Right. This is what this is one of those weeks where we still won't prove we won't get affirmation about them, but we could find out that we're wrong about them this week.
1: Yeah, and honestly, I think that's the that's the essence of most teams out-of-conference scheduling. Oh, well, they have
0: Alabama. So it's South Carolina next week, uh, then Southern.
1: Jesus. Oh, God.
0: Um, HBCUs is a topic we're going to cover at some point, not today. Mm. Um, and, then Alab- and then Alabama at Tennessee and Missouri and Florida in four consecutive games. So we don't have to wait too long. Uh, we might not learn this week. We definitely won't learn against Southern, but October 3rd we'll learn.
1: I am uh... – I am a Grayson Lambert decision away from predicting Tennessee to win the East and I saw them implode. You you question. mean you mean Kentucky, right? No. I mean <laughs> I mean Tennessee. I I I don't even know if I want to talk about Kentucky yet. No, um, I definitely don't. Because after this weekend, um if 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 they win this weekend, I think that's where I'm going to head next uh, Next week. I'll be in Miami this week for, ne- for the Nebraska game, which is a game we haven't even touched yet, which talk about things I don't know what the hell to expect. My okay. gosh. Um, but I'm doing something special there that's less football-oriented that I- I'm under embargo on. But if Kentucky beats Florida, the Auburn game is really good. Yeah, There's a lot of question marks in my voice. Um, they could be favored against Auburn at home. Nah, are- I don't know
0: about that. I wouldn't go that far. I don't think they'll be favored, but they could win.
1: Who does Auburn have this week? Is it a rebound? It's a... Uh,
0: LSU. Yeah, LSU. We skipped over that. Case All right, over. okay. Yeah. We, oh, we which, by the way, gives, allows us to mention a certain also LSU coordinator. secret bad. Uh, a certain LSU coordinator who, who did not hey! get mentioned last week. Our, our streak ended at two.
1: Steele. Doing, uh- Kevin Steele.
0: How are you doing, Kevin Steele?
1: I think it's a secret bad game, honestly. Oh, yeah. Uh,
0: that's not. I'm not looking. There's a reason I yeah. my eyes skipped that one.
1: I feel confident that we haven't mentioned it until the hour in, Mark. Um, uh, all right. All right. What about this? Since this is – I feel like this podcast is home for people who would want to extrapolate this theory. Okay. All right. Auburn goes to Baton Rouge. Auburn loses by 17. Kentucky hosts Florida. Wins by 13. Kentucky opens against Auburn. What's the line?
0: Hmm. That's one of those that I think will, will, would shift. Like Auburn would open a one-point favorite, and then eight hours later, Kentucky's favored by three, that kind of thing.
1: I feel I, like, yeah, that's probably the right answer. <sighs>
0: <laughs> but just, it's, it's very conceivable. We'll, we'll put it that way. It is it is on the table, at least, that it could happen. I don't think it will, but I think it could.
1: Um, this is too early to talk about, so I'm going to limit this to 30 seconds. What I like about Kentucky is the fact that they're the only team in the South that's going north to recruit, and it's working. Yeah, Cincinnati has always been a quiet hotbed of talent. Um, Notre Dame knew this for years because they used to pull Catholic kids out of those power Catholic schools in Southern Ohio and beat out Ohio State and other Big Ten schools. For years they did this. Mark Stoops, obviously Irish Catholic guy from Youngstown. He's going into Cincinnati. He's finding success, success there. Um, he has... I would say this is the first year I feel like it's valid to judge him based on the, the lack of talent that was on that roster when he inherited it, and just like it's it's only fair to give Kentucky the benefit of the doubt in a wide open East as it is to give Missouri, Tennessee, and Georgia.
0: Um, I'm not sure about that last sentence. Uh, I have to process that one for a little while. But
1: it's so weird to say, right? Right. But
0: I will say that uh, that was an epiphany for me a couple of years ago when he started getting four star commitments from Ohio, and my yep. first reaction was Ohio. And then I remembered. Uh, well, hell, he's like, how far from Cincinnati? <laughs>
1: because uh, it just
0: there's this an imaginary line between North and South, and and you know it, that's why it's so hard to sometimes come up from the bottom of the SEC is because you have to, you know, you're going to be doing it with the same talent pool as everybody else. Only Kentucky went out and expanded the pool. I love that. I think that's a what? just a, a awesome way to go about it. Um, obviously, as a Missouri guy, I can only hope it works so much. But it, it was it was a brilliant first move, and now he has to prove that he can actually coach
1: too. We should have Bud Elliott on on to talk about this in the offseason. What Kentucky has figured out under Mark Stoops is it's a hell of a lot easier to go, I'm going to find out the exact mileage right now, into Cincinnati and Southern Ohio than it is to be the 16th school at some kids' high school in Tampa. Right, right. 82 miles up I-75 north. I've made that drive multiple times. Um, It's easier to fight with Tommy Tuberville in Cincinnati over a kid that, look, you know, has a Ohio State can only sign 23, right? right? And they're recruiting nationally. So it's much easier to fight in southern Ohio with a school like Cincinnati or, you know, maybe another mid- to sub-tier Big Ten team. Uh, or Louisville. Louisville also likes to, I mean, let's not sleep on Louisville. They like to recruit well in, in, in southern Ohio when they can. I just, honestly, I think Stoops and his staff with the SEC brand has done a better job than Petrino. I mean, Petrina's kind of notorious for under-recruiting, especially on defense. So um, this thing, let's uh, – I said I wasn't going to talk this long about Kentucky because God knows everyone's turning this off right now. But if you extra- – let's push this out and say it's an eight-win season. I'll be curious to see how long he stays because I think he could apply his, his system to one of those open Big Ten jobs that we're going to have this year.
0: That'd be, and that would allow the whole you know big 10 to say they got one over on the SEC I guess.
1: But I yeah, I mean but you know if you consider James Franklin going from Vanderbilt to Penn State, you know, that that's an obvious move up unless right. you're just a complete dick SEC homer. Um, <laughs> I don't know though, but here's okay, so here's my counter to that. SEC network money hasn't even started filtering in yet. Kentucky's going to have a very robust budget. They've They've got the national branding appeal of the basketball team, and Calipari has a genuine interest in keeping football alive. I can tell you as a reporter that in East Kentucky, the coal industry, which are very, very powerful people, are actually a little bit more focused on the football than they are the basketball. There's a lot of key boosters in the U.K. program that care about football now. And take all that and measure it against the worth of the job in Champaign or Purdue. Seems like I would stay at Kentucky, but that's just me. Yeah, and um, they
0: are upgrading their facilities there. So, I mean, if you can prove you can get to eight wins, um, maybe for a little while, then, yeah, I mean, you're never going to be Alabama, but you can still be a viable SEC job.
1: All right, last thing I'm going to ask you before we put this thing to bed, and I I tried and failed miserably to balance this thing out and not become such an SEC podcast, but there's just too many interesting storylines right now.
0: And in fairness, they're not all good. So it's not like we're just a a hooray SEC podcast. It's just interesting stuff.
1: I feel like all of our listeners who also are uh, uh, registered posters at 11 Warriors are probably enjoying this. (laughs) Um, Walk me through the rest of the South Carolina season real fast. And I I have not watched a stitch of their game. Oh, no, I I watched one quarter of North Carolina. It was terrible. But we were just also star for football. Um, Walk me through what's going to happen at South Carolina. I don't know. I mean, I, I couldn't make a prediction right now other than I think that they may see five and seven.
0: All right, I'm, I've just pulled up their schedule. So,
1: um,
0: yeah, losing to Kentucky is bad. Um, just simply because, I mean, they've got a lot of potentially close games here, and, and you can't lose too many of them. And there are teams that are better than Kentucky that you probably uh, – you can't lose to Kentucky. But, okay, so they lose to Georgia. That's one and two. Now, I mean, again, we know Spurrier, Georgia. They've – You know, Georgia fans are going to be paranoid as hell that they're going to win that game. But um, we'll say they lose. We'll say they beat UCF. Um, I guess we'll say they lose at Missouri, although every single freaking Missouri-South Carolina game goes to the last possession. Yeah. Um, So that's two and three. LSU at home. That's a loss. Well, probably. I'm not – I I don't – I need to see more from LSU too, but probably. Uh, Vanderbilt's a win, even though Vanderbilt's defense really might be pretty awesome. So that's three and four. Then at A&M and at Tennessee. <laughs> Two losses. So that's three and six. And that requires them to come home and beat Florida Citadel and Clemson, which is not impossible by any means. Clemson, I uh, my, my own personal jury is still out about them too. So technically they could still get there. And if they lose to Clemson but beat you know Tennessee or Missouri or whatever, then they're still six. So it's still on the table uh, that they could go to a bowl. But – you know, this was this is such an interesting, you know, when you're that when you're that old and everybody, you know, nobody can say your name without the word retirement slipping in here. It's an interesting time to do a rebuilding year. Uh you can't really afford to have a rebuilding year. And this is what this is. You know, there uh, I like the moves he made on defense, but then his offense went out and got super young and now it's injured too. So, uh it's it's a really awkward year to balance all that. I think they they're going to remain competitive. They're not going to be terrible all of a sudden. But yeah, losing that Kentucky game makes it a lot makes it it's not impossible, but it makes it a lot harder to get to six and six or seven and five. The,
1: the secret about this program is that this job is tough as hell, and you don't you're never going to be on the same footing as Florida and Georgia when you're when you're trying to recruit against them in places like Atlanta or Charlotte. Um, it's 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 and then you have to go tooth and nail with Clemson, who um, shows no signs of you know it's not I, I don't see a bump coming or a dip coming at Clemson anytime soon. So this is. It's a secretly really tough job, and let's just say he, he rides off into the sunset. I don't see the the power structure at South Carolina putting his son in as no. his successor, sure, um, regardless of what he wants. Um, and then after that, you have to go out, and you. you I think you get a great candidate, um, but it's it's a job where the candidate's going to have to really – like, you got to – you gotta get a recruit. This is a this is like a where you go out and just get somebody a Butch Jones, Hugh Freeze like recruiter first type of coach. Well, at,
0: at this I job. will say, you know, I, I realize patience isn't in in abundance there, but this that's a job where patience could be paid off because I mean, it, in a lot of ways, it is like a Missouri type job, and I mean Gary Pinkle rides a five
1: year plan for most of his recruits. Um, you but my know, argument to you is that Missouri can still go in. I think Gary's done a great job with Jucos and he's done a great job with Texas, and I don't think those are luxuries that South Carolina has well
0: yeah i mean he's he switched from Texas, but yeah I mean that's um so that i mean that's the question is if you gave a, if if you know if South Carolina completely fell apart and you gave a pinkle esque guy a few years to get his footing to where you yeah. could you know get third and fourth year guys rolling before you judge him then <laughs> Um, then, then you could absolutely succeed. It's just can you do that? I mean, Spurrier set the bar pretty high, and and and, and he's still not. It, they, I really would still be shocked if they if he quits. You know, he retires in his last season. They go like three and nine or something. They're, they're still going to be
1: better than that. I think. Well, cool. I mean, it, to me, if you pull to ten thousand feet, you tell me if I'm wrong here. This looks a lot like the SEC's Kansas State.
0: Better than that, I think. Okay. Um, just in terms of resources, I mean, can I? Kansas State. I love Kansas State, but uh, you know, in terms of resources, I think South Carolina is still ahead. Now,
1: I mean, they they in the See, competitive environment of uh, the I SEC think with the resources, you're not wrong. Fan base, you're not wrong. Like, I get all that. Like, they pack them in, great facilities, all that. But the, the, I, I don't look at resources like that because every other school that you're fighting tooth and nail against has an equal, if not better, amount of resources. Yeah, I and mean,
0: that's that's a fair statement. So maybe like competitively or comparatively speaking
1: um the doormat nerd school in that division that is like a a two-mile walk from my house if that has an indoor practice facility yeah (laughs) i mean that's just the joneses it's it's ridiculous so um any other
0: thoughts um my main thought right now is we're at an hour 15 we're setting such a bar now like if we ever go if we ever go like 40 minutes on one of these it's going to feel very underwhelming i know
1: know, and we're probably going to hear about it too we didn't even solicit questions this week um this is the just the busyness of the season, and um, we'll be back next week. We'll have a ton of stuff to talk about. And uh, if this thing is a massive success, we could we could maybe break it out to do two shorter ones in a week. I don't know. We'll, we're still figuring this out. So, so I, you know, my,
0: my problem with two a week is I don't think we're capable of going too much shorter. So, uh, we would just oh, no no, 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 no,
1: Yeah, that's true. <laughs> we would just it, do two it, hours it cuts, a week. It's at hours time. of our work week for sure. <laughs> um, it's uh, – this is the moment. I want everybody to uh, to enjoy it. This is we're entering week three. We're starting to get answers. Things are starting to shape up. We're starting to understand what the season's going to be. There are, um, it's not the most sexy week in the world, but we just I think we just rattled off at, what ten plus games that are are to me mandatory viewing. So enjoy it. There you go. It's cool outside too. I don't know how to, I don't know how it feels in Missouri, but it's cool outside now. Yeah, so it's crazy.
0: supposed to be like high of eighty on Saturday, which is perfect for a morning uh, kickoff because that means you're going to be
1: kicking off when it's like sixty-eight. How fast so. do you go from Missouri's at home this week, right? Yeah. So how fast? Just uh, this is curious. I've been to your tailgate once, but it was for a night game. Are you just going to like scoot it back to the house to watch the other games, or do you watch it at the tailgate? Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, yeah, no. Well, I mean, after the game, I'll, I'll, we'll we have to le- let the traffic alleviate a little bit. But yeah, we'll you know it's probably with a little bit of traffic about a 17 minute drive from the tailgate to my house. Uh, so if the game ends at 2:30, I'm probably home by 3:30, 3:45. So no one in shop.
1: Bill Connolly has measured the exact the exact average commute time from his tailgate to his home to be 17 minutes. Damn straight. That's, right. that's why you. That's why you're you, sir. All right, and uh, enjoy the UConn game. Because that's something I like to say to people.
0: (laughs) All right. We'll talk next week.
1: Thanks, guys. All right.